Tommy and Billy were discussing their latest turkey shoot. Tommy says emphatically, I am never going to take my wife, Laura, shooting again, Billy um, said. That bad, huh? inquired Billy, smiling. Yeah, Lori did everything wrong. Got nothing right. She chattered too much, constantly disturbed the undergrowth, loaded the wrong gauge shotgun, used the wrong luring whistle, and worst of all, Bellows Tommy, she shot more turkeys than I did. (laughs) At Thanksgiving dinner, one wife said, who wants to carve the turkey? And the father said, you carve him, you married him. (laughs) And I came across this little poem. May your stuffing be tasty. May your turkey plump. May your potatoes and gravy have nary a lump. May your yams be delicious and your pies take the prize. And may your Thanksgiving dinner stay off your thighs. (laughs) You know, this morning, I wanted us to, to get us laughing just a little bit. Because this morning's message is one of those messages where we're not going to laugh a whole lot. As you know, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount together. Um, We've been walking through the Beatitudes together. And so far, we've looked at seven of those Beatitudes. And this morning, we're going to look at the eighth Beatitude. And of all of the Beatitudes, this one is probably going to be the hardest one for us to wrap our minds around, to wrap our lives around, and really even to wrap our faith around. And so I want us to begin this morning with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's word together. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, as we begin walking through this eighth beatitude together. Father, we pray that you will just give us wisdom. Father, we we pray that you will give us the ability to understand your word. Father, I pray that you will give me the 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 ability, Father, to preach your word, Father, with truth and authority. And Father, may your words this morning penetrate deep into our hearts, minds, and souls. And Father, may you reveal to us what it is that you would have us to to, um, to understand this morning, Lord. Because this is not an easy message to preach. It's certainly not an easy message to receive. And so, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to show up in this place and give us the ability this morning to understand your word and understand our place in this world, this world, and, and just give us understanding and clarity this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our message point this morning is this. The eighth beatitude calls us to a standard of living that is foreign to the Western church. The eighth beatitude calls us to a standard of living that is foreign to the Western church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 10 through 12, but specifically we're going to look at verses 1, or we're going to read, though, verses 1 through 12 together, but our focal verses will be 10, 11, and 12 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's read together this morning. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus begins his sermon as we've looked at over the past few weeks with his word, this word blessed. Blessed when translated from Greek means happy. When translated from Latin means approval upon. Fundamentally, it is the idea of being approved. Jesus begins teaching his disciples and telling them that this is the kind of life that God approves of. And this morning, we're going to look at the kind of life that God approves of as we wrap up these Beatitudes that we've looked at together. And notice this, God approves of a life that is a persecuted life. Point number one this morning is this, the reality of persecution. The reality of persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One commentator wrote this, to live as subjects of the kingdom of heaven is to be set over against the rest of society which does not share its values, and the result may be, indeed, the uncompromising wording of this beatitude suggests that it will be persecution. Here is the reality when it comes to persecution. If you and I live out the first seven beatitudes that we've looked at together, then you and I are guaranteed that the eighth beatitude will also be lived out in our lives. We will be persecuted if we live out the first seven Beatitudes. Pretty sobering thought, isn't it? To think that if I live my life where I hunger and thirst after God's word, if I live my life where I seek purity, if I live my life where I consciously make sure that I'm right with my fellow man in the sense that I have no bitterness in my heart. There's no unforgiveness in my heart. And those that are, that I do life with, I've gotten my, my life right with them in the sense that I sought their forgiveness and offered up forgiveness for them. So when we live out the first seven Beatitudes, the eighth Beatitude is a reality. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake is what Jesus said. John MacArthur in his commentary wrote this. Those who live righteously will inevitably be persecuted for it. Godliness generates hostility and antagonism from the world. The crowning feature of the happy person is persecution. Kingdom people are rejected people. Holy people are singularly blessed, but they pay a price for it. Think about those statements. Think about the weightiness of Jesus making this eighth statement 
to his disciples. To me, it's mind-blowing when I think about it. As I was preparing for this message, I tried to figure out how in the world this morning am I going to interject some, some warm fuzzies into this message? How am I going to get people laughing this morning? But there is nothing really to laugh about when we realize that when we live out the first seven Beatitudes, we're guaranteed that the eighth is going to be a reality, that we are going to be persecuted. If we are honest with ourselves, if we knew that this was a prerequisite for being a Christ follower, many of us in this room may have given a second thought to becoming a Christ follower. If we knew that the prerequisite for being a Christ follower is that we are going to be persecuted. When most of us became Christ followers, Man, we had somebody that was standing up. Um, maybe it was at vacation Bible school. Maybe it was at a youth camp or a children's camp. Maybe it was in a worship service. Someone said, if you just walk an aisle and pray this prayer, then you're guaranteed that you're going to go to heaven. There's more to the Christian life than praying a prayer. It's, it's about surrendering our lives over to Jesus Christ. Jesus said that if anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. How often do we follow after Jesus? We We follow after him every single day. For Jesus, he said, if you're going to follow after me, you got to take up your form of execution and follow after me. So there's nothing about the Christian life that, that unfortunately, um, guarantees us that we're, we've got a, a free ride to heaven where there's not going to be any persecution or any obstacles in our lives or any, any, um, hiccups or, or, or road bumps. There's, there's no guarantee that that is going to happen. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me is what he said. He said, blessed um, are these good things that happen. Then he also said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Paul declared in second Timothy to young Timothy, he said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul didn't say you might be persecuted or there's a chance that you will be persecuted or here's how to avoid persecution. He said you will be persecuted. If anyone knew about persecution, it was Paul, right? Paul was a man that knew about persecution. He knew from, from both sides of the fence. He was once the chief persecutor responsible for um, imprisoning Christians, responsible for beatings and floggings amongst Christians. And if you remember, he was also present the day that Stephen was stoned to death. And he gave his approval of that meaning that he was most likely responsible for what happened on that particular day. And so Paul understood what it meant to issue out persecution, but he was also a man that knew what it was like to receive persecution. In fact, we read uh, Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is kind of, 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 of Paul sharing his scars as a believer. He said this in verse 21, To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. 
But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from my false brothers, and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? I mean, think about that. I mean, Paul understood what it meant to be persecuted. He wore the scars of persecution he also said in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only does one come to faith in Christ, but it is also just a given that we are going to suffer for Christ. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about to say something this morning that, um, that's not easy for me to say. And I've shared aspects of this in the past, but I want to share um, again. Now, I believe that the greatest enemy of the Western and the American church is freedom of religion. I want to say that again. I believe that the greatest enemy of the Western church and the American church is freedom of religion. It is our freedom of religion that we cherish the most. It is freedom of religion that the founder, founding fathers of this great land sought out to possess. The First Amendment gives us the right to practice the freedom of our religion. No one can come in here and tell us what to preach. No one can come into this place and tell us how to worship. No one can come into this place and dictate what we do because our freedom gives us the right for me to stand up here and boldly preach every aspect of God's word, for you to sit there as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and soak up the words from God's word. Our greatest privilege that we have as Americans is also the greatest hindrance that we have as Christians, I believe. Think about the first church. Think about that first century church. When did that church explode with growth. It occurred the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon that first group of believers. When did the gospel scatter from Jerusalem? It occurred when persecution began 
to happen in force. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read, And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen here, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. It was ultimately persecution that led to the advancement of the gospel to the known world. And it would be persecution that would ultimately lead to the gospel advancing to the unknown world as well. Folks, I am grateful that God has allowed me to grow up in the United States of America. I've been to many countries and seen great oppression and seen um, people that do not have the freedoms that we have as Americans to worship freely. I am grateful that God has allowed me to grow up here. If anyone has been afforded the American dream, it's my, my, my family and myself. I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in, in, in religion and theology. I, I make a living by standing before you and preaching and shepherding you. I have been given the American dream. I would not change anything. However, this way of living is not present in the Bible, nor is it promised to the believer, is it? In fact, this passage of Scripture makes it clear that the exact opposite is true for the believer. There is coming a day, I believe with all my heart, that in America you you and I are not going to have the freedoms that we have today. Today we do have the freedom to stand and boldly preach. But there's going to come a day when there are going to be certain passages within God's word that it will be deemed a hate crime to preach. If we preach against homosexuality, there is coming a day when it will be a hate crime to do that very thing. That day isn't here yet, but that day is coming, I believe, with all of my heart here in America. And I'm going to tell you now that when that day comes, I believe it will be then that America experiences the next great awakening. Because the gospel seems to explode under persecution. The first church, when persecution occurred, daily people were being added to the kingdom. Because the gospel was advancing across the street and around the world. I read this week that the house church in Iran is experiencing astounding growth. Hundreds are coming to faith and being baptized. In fact, just this week, over 200 Iranians and Afghanis were baptized having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened right outside the, the city of, of, um, of, of, of the, uh, right outside the Islamic Republic of Iran with eight different Persian-speaking churches attending this service. I read that 20 years ago, there were only two to 5,000 people that were Christians in Iran. Today, it is believed that that number is somewhere between 300,000 and a million people. And the gospel where it's exploding is is exploding um, underground. It's exploding within the house church movement. If you are a Christian, though, in, in Iran, in many parts of Asia and parts of Africa, there is a good chance that 
you could lose your life. It's guaranteed that you are going to be persecuted. And, and there's a good chance that you also may be imprisoned if you stand up for Jesus Christ in these lands. Why? Because you are considered an enemy of Allah if you are a Christian. You are considered an enemy of their state. In fact, um, this past Thursday, um, we've got a family in our church that's been visiting, and they shared their testimony of, of what happens in the Middle East if a person becomes a believer. And basically what, what, what one of them said is that, that you're guaranteed a funeral if you come to faith having renounced the name of Allah and proclaimed the name of Jesus. Pretty sobering, isn't it? But yet in the midst of this um, extreme persecution, the gospel of Jesus Christ is exploding. By contrast, I mean, think about the American church. Think about the freedoms that we have here in America. There, for the most part, you and I can proclaim the name of Jesus wherever we go. We can do it in our neighborhoods. We can do it um, at the grocery store. Um, most of us at our places of employment, we can share our faith that we come um, with those that we come in contact with. But think about the American church. What is happening in the church in America? Salvations are down. Baptisms are down. Attendance is down. But you know what's up? Apathy is up. Evangelism is non-existent in many of our churches today. The first church was all about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why they could celebrate and declare that God added to their numbers on a daily basis. I will be the first person to tell you this morning, I do not want persecution. I do not want to experience persecution. It scares me to death to know that persecution is the reality that has been promised to me as a believer. But folks, it is a reality. If we're not experiencing some element of persecution in our lives, then there's something wrong with our lives. There's something wrong with our faith. It means we're not proclaiming the good news of salvation amongst those that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We see here that, that those that are persecuted, their reward is the kingdom of heaven. When you and I live for Christ and walk in Christ, we are associated with a different kingdom from this worldly kingdom. MacArthur in his commentary said, To live for Christ is to live in opposition to Satan and his world and his system. When we became Christ followers, we denied this world. We gave up this world. We abandoned this world for a different world, a much better world, the kingdom of heaven is what you and I live for today. That is the kingdom that we are to be associated with, not the kingdom of this world. Notice our second point this morning, and the next two points will go quicker. But we see here, the reason for persecution. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Notice the reason for persecution. You and I experience persecution because of Jesus in his 
name. We see here at the evil, at the, at the end of this, um, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You and I are persecuted because we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you and I identify with Jesus and the more we act like Jesus, the more we will be treated like Jesus as well, right? John fifteen twenty, Jesus said this. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. Jesus teaches his disciples about what is to come. Jesus knew exactly what lied ahead for him. He knew the kind of life that he would live. He knew the kind of persecution that he was, would experience. And he knew the kind of death that awaited him. And he also knew exactly what awaited his disciples as well. Within Fox's Book of Martyrs, many of you have read this book or you have, have at least you're familiar with this book. It documents how many Christians have lost their lives um, um, really throughout human history. But it also documents how the early disciples lost their lives. And it is said this, that Philip was thrown into prison and then crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. James was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified and then left hanging on the cross for three days. Peter was crucified with his head being down and his feet upward because he said he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus Christ was. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs and then crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Simon the zealot was crucified. And the only person that it is believed that was not was not that did not lose his faith or his life for his faith was John who 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 spent the rest of his days on the island of Patmos where he died a prisoner as a believer in America you and I are not likely today to be in danger of physical persecution we're not likely to be imprisoned for our faith today we're not likely to receive beatings and floggings and crucify we're not going to be crucified for our faith but here's what we should expect at the least, we should expect that there should be verbal persecution that we experience. We saw this word revile you when other people insult you. You are or should be, we all should be insulted for our faith occasionally. Because that means that we're in proximity of people that, that aren't, aren't agreeing what we have to say. And as a result of that, um, they, they, they ridicule us, they insult us, they laugh at us, and they ostracize us. Some of you, over the course of your life, you've experienced that. I know that in my life, I've experienced that kind of persecution. I've never had anybody touch a hair on my head, despite what you may believe. Um, but they're, they're persecution for us. Although it may not look like it does in Iraq and Iran and and, in other parts of the Middle East and Asia and parts of Africa. There should be an element of persecution that we receive 
in life. You and I should be Satan's public enemy, number one. Jesus, as he stood before the religious leaders following his, his rest, he was spat upon, he was struck, he was slapped, he was ridiculed. They tried to make a spectacle of him. They tried to make him look like a joke whenever they said, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you. When you and I get in proximity of the loss, then we will not be received very well. We shouldn't be received very well. Some will receive us just like they received Jesus, but a vast number of people will reject us just like they rejected Jesus. When that happens, um, does that mean that we just give up on people? Absolutely not. Does that mean knowing that if I go knock on a person's door, that there's a good chance that that door is going to be slammed in my face, that I shouldn't go and share the good news of salvation with them? Absolutely not. We should still go, and we should expect some to receive, but many others to slam the door in our face. It's okay when that happens. We are the beautiful feet that are instructed to take the gospel to those in this world that do not know the good news of salvation. Notice our final point this morning, it is this, the reward for persecution. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells his disciples to rejoice in the midst of persecution. That's kind of hard to wrap our mind around right there, isn't it? How do you rejoice when you're being beaten, when you're being flogged, when you're being ridiculed, when you're being made fun of? How do you do that? Peter affirmed these, th- that very thing. Peter said in 1 Peter four twelve through 16, he wrote this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad with his glory when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When you and I experience persecution, we glorify God because we've been counted worthy to be, to be persecuted in the way or a similar way as Jesus had. Jesus suffered death on a cross so that you and I could have life. For us to suffer for him means that those at whose hands we suffer are being exposed to the one who can save their souls. You know, one of the greatest testimonies that came out of Jesus' death was the centurion who said, Surely, truly, this was the Son of God. When persecution comes our way, understand that those that are persecuting us are being exposed to the good news of salvation. They're being exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. This centurion said, truly, this was the Son of of God. And I have heard over and over and over at the hand of ISIS or at the hand of the Taliban or at the hand of some of these other radical Islamic terrorists that in the face of them murdering Christians, they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
because they've also said, truly, this man or woman or student or child was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the early days of the church, a Christian offended the king and was threatened with banishment because of his preaching. He replied, Sire, you cannot banish me from the world, for the world is my father's house. The king then said he would confiscate all his possessions. The Christian answered, Sire, you cannot confiscate my possessions because my treasures are laid up in heaven. The king was starting to get furious and told him that he would make him live in isolation away from all of his friends. The believer stated, Sire, you cannot remove me from my greatest friend because he lives within me. And finally, the king shouted out, then I'll have you killed. To which the Christian calmly replied, you can take my breath, but you can never take my life, for it is hid with God in Christ. You know, this world can do a lot of things to us, but the one thing it cannot do is ever take us away from our Savior, away from our King, because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. In conclusion this morning, kind of our takeaway this morning is actually a scripture. It's Romans eight thirty-five through 39. These are the words of Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we all we are, all, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Folks, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ no longer associate with the kingdom of this world because we live in a much better world today, and it's called the kingdom of heaven. Knowing that we live in the kingdom of heaven and no longer this kingdom within this world, know that there is a very good possibility that we are going to experience persecution in our lives. Most of us won't experience physical persecution unless God calls us to a, a, a foreign land. But all of us should at least expect to be verbally persecuted occasionally. When we stand for Jesus Christ and we proclaim the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with, blessed are those who are persecuted. What that means is this, that God approves of our lives when we experience persecution. I'm not saying that you leave here this morning and go out and seek to be persecuted, okay? That's not the purpose of this message this morning. 
The purpose of this message is for us to understand the reality of the Beatitudes. That when we live out the first seven, there's a great chance that we're going to experience the eighth as well. Question is, how well are we living out the first seven? Because the first seven dictate the eight. If we avoid righteousness and holiness and purity, then guess what? You're probably not going to be persecuted. But if we seek to live out the first seven, then the eighth is going to happen. This morning, you may be here. And, and as a result of hearing the good news from God's word, you realize that you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend eternity. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I want to invite you this morning to repent of your sins. And if you do that, God's word is clear that you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. If you're here this morning and the Lord is leading you to join this faith family, we invite you to come and make this your church home. You may need to, as a result of a sermon like this, man, you may need to remain seated when we stand for our time of invitation. You may need to come to this altar this morning. You may just need to just with your head bow pray and ask God to just do some soul searching in your life. I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but let's stand together and we're going to pray together. um, And then we'll have a time of invitation. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord Jesus, this morning, Father. And Lord Jesus, as I prayed when we started this message, Father, there's nothing flashy about this message. This wasn't an easy message to preach. And I know it wasn't an easy message to receive. But Father, it's a message that must be preached because it comes from your word. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as a result of us coming in proximity of your word and in in proximity of you this morning, that you have spoken to us and that you have revealed to us, Lord Jesus, that that, that we've got to make sure that we're living our lives in accordance with the first seven Beatitudes so that we can rejoice in the midst of the eighth Beatitude. Father, may we not run from persecution, but may we certainly, Father, know that we don't want to seek out persecution. Lord, we just want to live in the, in the midst of your will. And Lord, if we live in the midst of your will and daily get in proximity of you, we know, Lord Jesus, that the result is that we're going to be persecuted. But Father, in that moment, we know that we can be found rejoicing and celebrating because we've been counted worthy to be persecuted for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, if there is a decision that needs to be made, Lord Jesus, will you speak to each of our hearts? If there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, will you draw them unto salvation? If there's someone here this morning, Lord, or a family that you're leading to come be a part of this faith family, Lord Jesus, we invite them this morning to make this their church home. Lord, just move now during this time of invitation. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, 
you need to come trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you come. If you need to come and join this church, you come. If you need to come and kneel or kneel at your seat, let the Spirit of the Lord work in your life now. As we sing together, you come.